Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. by Riverside. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Backside Ground Balls podcast. We're coming to you here on a gloomy Sunday afternoon. Dan, how are we feeling? I know you had a, a full weekend of fun. Are we are we good and refreshed and ready to record this podcast? We're doing all right. Uh, allergies have gotten me this weekend, so uh, got a little bit of a, a throat and, and sinus thing, but we'll, uh, we're ready to go. Excited for the pod. Oh, as always, as always, I'll tell you my allergies. I don't know if it's because I was traveling in some colder, gloomier weather up in the Northeast this past week, but I came back. I feel banged up. I don't know if it's a matter of being in a car for long extended periods of time, combination of everything, but I woke up this morning. I just felt just nasty and stuffed. And yesterday I went to the gym, but couldn't complete. Like I was just like, I'm going to stretch and get the body moving again. Cause I've been in a car for so long. And then I even felt like crap today. So, uh, gotta get used to it, but the allergies are definitely kicking my butt too. Yeah. It's just like that time of year, I guess. And, and, um, I certainly didn't travel or have the, uh, like as long of a week as you, but yeah, I woke up this morning and it was just like, I did not feel great. Um, but Hey, I'm excited to be on here. Um, excited to, to be back. It feels like I haven't been on in forever. It's been almost a week, so I'm ready to go talk some baseball. Yeah, we went, we went two episodes last week, obviously because of circumstances. Um, one of that was obviously me going solo, but we talked about the White Sox on Thursday by myself. We want to talk about the White Sox because really things have changed since I covered them. Uh, not for the better, if anything, for the worse. And in the news as recently as yesterday was we all got to see Louis Robert, Luis Robert. Luis Robert sounds cool. We're going to call him Louis Robert because we're going to talk about I don't him even think we give him Louis. I think it's Louis. I think he's now Louis Robert. 
Lewis Robert, just your casual yeah. uh, Caucasian male who was born and raised in in South Texas, I guess. Iowa. Uh, yeah. yeah. So Lewis Robert uh, hits a weak ground ball to the left of the pitcher's mound, almost like a swinging bunt. And for a guy who runs like a deer, could have easily beaten it out. Pitcher makes a good play, gets off the mound, spins, left-handed pitcher, throws a dot, and when the camera pans over to first base, Lewis Robert is just dogging it through first base. What makes this situation on the whole the most interesting, and now I don't know if I want to call Robert a liar, but the odds of somebody saying in the post game that I was nursing a hamstring injury that I had not told anybody about, and I stood and still to catch them off guard when he covers it in the post game of being like, yeah, well, my hamstring's been bad. And that was a surprise to a lot of people with the White Sox. You know, just this this whole situation on the on, on with everything considered, what are you, what are your initial thoughts and and how he handled this? I mean, there's a reason that I'm I'm going to start calling him Lewis Robert. I mean, this is he's full of crap. I mean, especially in today's age of of information and um like general just how much coverage all of these teams have they all have six beat writers that are reporting every day twitter's a thing so you get more information than you ever did like yeah back in 2004 if a guy was secretly nursing a hamstring it was possible but now today with just how many people are around and watching him move around every day someone would have like at some point been like he doesn't look right before this yeah. happens that's my first thing two if you even if he was nursing a hamstring like that was pathetic that wasn't nursing a hamstring running. That was you either one of two things. You dogged it, which is what everyone believes, including myself, or you pulled the hamstring getting out of the box. It's not yeah. I've been nursing. That wasn't an I've been nursing a hamstring uh, journey down the first baseline. That was a like, I'm so fed up with this team. This stinks. We stink. I stink for hitting a tapper back to the pitcher. That's fair. I don't really care what happens anymore journey down the line and i hate this is the last thing and then i'll let you go but i hate i for one hate all the people who you know the travel ball heroes and the the college baseball coach heroes who go on twitter all the time to bash these guys anytime they catch someone not going 150 percent down the line because those guys have no clue what it's like to play 162 days but there's like a fine line that you have to understand as a big leaguer like that's a ball where you steal a knock like off the bat, that's a steal and knock hit. Like th- that helps. That goes a long way in the course of, of six months, that hit. You bust that one out. You hit it 110 at the shortstop. Yeah, you put it in about 70% and then mm-hmm. even maybe down to 50 when you're two steps from the bag when the ball is going to beat you by a mile because you hit the ball right at the shortstop at 110. There's no chance of you ever beating that out. Like velocity off the bat plus arm strength of shortstop beats your sprint speed every time. When you hit a 45-mile-an-hour tapper that a pitcher has to take 13 steps off the mound, spin and fire on, like that's an 80% like eighty effort base hit for Luis Robert. But yeah. Luis Robert hit it, so it was an out. Yeah, and I'm not going to sit here and try to analyze his gait and how that is in comparison to his normal sprint. But there's a difference between an I'm nursing a hamstring or even I just pulled a hamstring, like gait sprint 
like there's a little bit of tenderness on whatever leg. There's a maybe a grab there once you get through the bag. 100%. Something that was a I slowed up completely. Like he didn't break stride. So like that's what tells me like you weren't nursing. Yeah, I'm sure your hamstring's sore. You're 27 games into a season. You play center field. You lay your body on the line. Whatever you want to say from that standpoint. Sure, your hamstrings are probably tight. That's fine. But to come out and say, oh, I was nursing an injury is just that's I just don't believe you. And this is a guy that when you look at the whole of who he is, right, and what he has been able to do, he came out of the gates hot, right? Very productive player. We had talked about him as like a guy who was swinging the bat well. You know, he doesn't take walks. He's a free swinger. You know, you're going to get those peaks and valleys. If anybody can hear the the thunder rumbling in the background here, it's about to downpour in Lillington, North Carolina. But, you know, he's a guy who kind of rides that roller coaster similar to Javi Baez, right? Where you're super talented. But one of the things that I noticed last week was him cutting off of Eloy Jimenez, who twice in a game at the Rogers Center in Toronto last week, a fly balls that weren't even close. Like this is not um, whatever. Oh, bad news bears where the guy in right field can't catch a fly ball and you have to cut them off. Like you're just cutting off your boy, Eloy Jimenez, who's a, who's a five-year big leaguer at this point, like, and just saying, Oh, I didn't hear you or whatever. Like what's going on here? He was even doing this to uh, Oscar Colas in right field a couple of times early in the season. And Oscar Colas is like a, a plus defender as well. Like you could put Oscar Colas in center field. So you're 100% right. Like Eloy, even if he wanted to do it under the guise of like Eloy's a, b- a below average outfielder, like he does, he was doing it. He's been doing it in right field as well to a guy who's an above average outfielder. That makes no sense. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's the crap. Luis, Luis Robert show, I guess is the best way to say it. And, like not to get even hot takey here. It's just like the guy just doesn't seem to care. <laughs> like, frankly, he doesn't care. Gutless. Gutless. Like there's only thing you can say. Like it's like – and it, look, the only situation that maybe you have a better one that you can think of or, or more recent, um, but last April Alec Baum was caught on camera saying something he shouldn't have said in the middle of a game. And he, in the postgame, owned up to it. Yeah. Like was just like, hey, yes, I said it. Did I mean it? No. I was frustrated. I was stunk. I'm sorry. It will never happen again. All was forgiven. Everyone moved on. The guys in the clubhouse respected him for it. The fans, which may or may not matter, appreciated him for it. Like, hey, Lewis, just be like, bad, bad on me. I am so sorry. We're not playing well. I'm frustrated. I'm not playing well. That was stupid. Not yeah. don't don't nurse the hand. What are we in? What are we in high school? No, it's the excuse maker. We all we've all right. had like, teammate what do we do? Who, like what, what, oh, right. I, I had school. a bad outing because oh my shoulder's been bothering. Yeah, me. you're I'm like tight. My I'm bicep's tight. sore. Yeah. yeah, it's like, it's oh, yeah, joke. it would have been nice to know that before you stepped out in the field and, and didn't produce. It sounds like you're just trying to cover up for, for not playing well. But yeah. on the whole, when you look at this White Sox team, obviously, like I said, they I talked about them a little bit more in detail statistically of where their struggles are. But, you know, 
big picture wise, like what's going on with their culture, I think is the bigger question. You have a team that's seven and 21 now with more talent than the Pittsburgh Pirates, who are the first team in the NL to win 20 games. They've lost nine in a row. And you had Lance Lynn through six innings with a no hitter. And the second Wander Franco hit that home run against them, I said, they're going to lose this game because bad teams lose games that they have a really good start from and find ways to lose. But to lose 12 to three and give up 10 runs in that singular inning, it's just bad. And we thought, we thought, we thought, we thought that getting rid of Tony LaRusso was going to be the difference there. Now there have to be questions about the leadership from the players to begin with and where this culture is rotting from within. That's a great question, and I think you're right. I mean, we both sat here and ridiculed Tony Larusa to no end because you looked at the talent on the roster, and it was like, how does this keep happening? And there have been several teams this year in baseball who haven't gotten off to starts that correspond with their roster, right? I mean, the Astros, the Dodgers, the Cardinals, um, the Yankees. But, like, these teams seem to be able to pull themselves up, and they don't let nine games in a row happen. They continue to scratch and claw. The Astros were over 500 until the last two days. Um, the Dodgers continue to, to continue to look better and play better. They've gotten some big um, – some guys come through and have some hot stretches here lately. Uh, the Yankees continue to stay above 500 and continue to fight and claw. And it's like, and, and for the Yankees, like they have an excuse here. Like, yeah. Our whole roster's hurt. Yep. But they continue to do it because I think there's, like, to your point, is it leadership? Like, okay, was was the subtraction of Tony LaRusso really an addition? Yes. Are we discounting maybe how much Jose Abreu mattered to that, that clubhouse? Because you look around and you look at, you know, Lance Lynn, I think, is a veteran who's a good leader probably. But Lance Lynn can rub people the wrong way, not to mention it's sometimes harder, and, and you kind of know this from college baseball, it's harder when a guy who only is out there competing once a week is your is your biggest leader. That's tough. Lance Lynn can lead a lot of those other pitchers, but you need a guy who's going to post 160 games, 125 games every day to kind of be the leader and the voice because that's the guy that's out there every day competing, Right. And you go around the league and the best teams, they have a lot of those guys, right, that are in the lineup every day that are their leaders, right? Like to me, I think of like Freddie Freeman, plays every day, he plays the right way, he does the things you need to do. Like he can pull a team up from its bootstraps when they're struggling and they're 11 games under 500 in May and then go win a World Series like he did in Atlanta, right? They don't have that. Like you look at this roster and it's like they got some young guys. Moncada's obviously hurt, but Moncada's still a relatively young player. Lewis Robert is a, a young player. Eloy has never been healthy enough to, I think, really take a leadership role. I think they were counting on that maybe a little bit. But, like, Andrew Vaughn's a baby. Oscar Colas is a baby. Jake Berger's a baby. Like, these guys are too young. Um, yeah. You kind of wonder, is Grandall the leader? Who is it? Because clearly, like you said, there's, there's just an obvious culture issue here. And there's so many guys you look at this roster, and it's just underperform, 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 really outside of Jake Berger. Jake Berger's got seven home runs, but that's not a guy you even had in your plans every day. Moncada obviously got hurt, so he's not playing. Berger's done a great job. He has seven bombs. He's you know slugging 684. He's one dotting. Like That's the only guy who's performing for them. Eloy, 187. Yeah. Grandall, 241. Uh, Colas, who's got all the talent in the world, 208. And then... You know, and I apologize because the leader of the team has been hurt. It's probably Tim Anderson. That's what I was going to say. 
he's played so sparingly that I almost forgot him. And like, but where's Tim Anderson when all of this is happening? I guess is my question. Cause I, Tim Anderson wants to win. I know he does. Like you hear him interviewed enough and he wants to, but what, like it just makes no sense. And, and, and another guy who I get, like, it's weird because there's another veteran in that clubhouse who should be better than this. Elvis Andrews has been around for forever. Can he not get the fire started? Cause he's on the backside of his career. Like you would think that's a veteran guy. Like, and sometimes in baseball, there just is no answer. Sometimes it's just a mix of guys. Yeah, and that's what I was I was thinking is like Yasmani Grandal takes me as the guy, but he's kind of takes me as a quieter guy. He doesn't take yeah. me as a, a get-in-your-face kind of guy. He's kind of just your mellow guy. And and Elvis Andrus, while he does have probably have the utmost respect of his peers, you can only say so much when you got enough going on on the back of your baseball card. Like you, you're posting 186 right. with a 216 right. slug. Like you're not getting like if I'm if I'm Louis Robert, Luis Robert. I can't say it the way that you keep saying Louis Robert, Louis <laughs> Robert. And you try to get in my face about me not hustling. I'd be like, yo, go get a knock. Like sorry to break <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I know you, you're like, right. And that creates right. so much tension to begin with. And again, I like Tim Anderson, the player. He's you know he's fun to watch. But is that really what you want from your leader? Is the way he can he can personify sometimes. He's he's a lot different than your Freddie Freeman, which maybe that's what these boys need. I don't know, but like it's just a question mark. Is that the guy that's going to be like, hey, get on my back, let's follow me? Sometimes it can be the Tim Anderson show, and and he might want to leave those guys behind. Well, and I think it's tough because I think another guy that could do it, but he's new, so he's not going to, is Andrew Benintendi. Benintendi's got enough pull now. He's got a World Series ring that, like, he can he can be that guy because Benintendi does play the game the right way, and Benintendi's a pretty good ball player. And I think Tim Anderson can, to be honest. Yeah. To me, it, it should be Tim. Like Tim Anderson can walk up to yeah. you and get in your face, and he will. And again, I know Tim Anderson wants to win, but it's tough. He's played eleven games. He hasn't yeah. been around for this. Like, I don't know what his situation. I'm sure he's in the dugout, and I'm sure he's um with the team but like to your point of Elvis Andrews not performing like it's hard for Tim Anderson to be in the training room yelling at guys like he's trying to get back on the field you know I wouldn't be surprised if they start to look a little bit better um when he gets back because having that presence and sometimes that persona that confidence kind of drips yeah my question is is are we too far gone is going to be the only question by the time well especially it's you know on the good side of things we talk about confidence being a drug well you know when things start to compound on you it it goes and it goes fast and it is hard no matter who you bring back to get that thing rolling it's it's impossible no matter like once it becomes a toxic environment where guys seem to not be pulling on the same side of the rope it is you more times than not impossible to get that one back the one team like the teams that go on to win the world series that have struggles are the ones that have guys steering the ship that are like calm that are like hey we're working hard you remember Davey Martinez used to drive Nats fans up a wall when they were 1931 saying I still believe in these guys we still believe in the clubhouse we still believe in all this stuff they got the shirts you know they have fun the baby shark starts with Gerardo Parra like all that stuff you don't see that with the White Sox I don't watch the White Sox on a day-to-day right now it don't seem like anybody's having fun it don't seem like anybody's pulling on the same side of the rope Luis Roberts getting his trying to get his hits for him. You have like Yasmani Grandal's just trying to find his career again. Eloy's a guy who's going to turn it around eventually, but you know, he's just trying to find knocks for himself, get right. Andrew Vaughn's trying to stick in the big like all these guys are are 
playing for themselves. It almost seems like it's like, and you can just like, you can justify why that if like things aren't going well, like all of those guys have reasons to be selfish and, and play for themselves and not be pulling on the same side of the rope. And before we get too hot takey and, and ESPN culture, like with me talking about selfish players and championship culture and everything like that, we'll, we'll move on to something a little bit more positive here. Uh, the Philadelphia Phillies, obviously Dan's Philadelphia Phillies. Sometimes we forget that when they're playing well, we don't, we talk about them when they're playing bad. We try to avoid them as Dan's Philadelphia Phillies. They're eight and two in their last 10. They've won 10 of the last 13. They've won specifically four straight here, taking the series from the reigning world champs in the Houston Astros, who obviously took them down in late October, early November of last year. And really the wealth of this series and, and the tone setters for this series was the really the guys that took them to the World Series last year on the backs of Wheeler and Nola. So, you know, Dan, from what you saw this weekend, what were some of the things that stood out to you from big game Aaron Nola? You know, he's notoriously a big game pitcher in Philadelphia. Um, guys like to bring that up with them. What, what did you see this weekend? I would just first like to say that I'd rather claim the Philadelphia Bulldogs that Howie Roseman are building um, in, a, in, in the National Football League instead of the Philadelphia Phillies. But um, no, yeah, I think the thing with them is is like that's another one of these teams that had expectations and started out slow, right? And they have a bunch of leaders, including their manager, who – Again, it was just like everyone stay patient. We're going to start playing well. And you could see it like when there's talent on the roster and the names that are on this roster, you knew they were going to start playing well. And they've, they've gotten contributions all over the place, frankly. But like the biggest thing that's happened in the turnaround is they started getting better starts and their bullpen has been absolutely ridiculous in the last 15 games. And that's kind of whenever a team like this gets on a streak, it's like the bullpen's always. Like, oh, you, you, you see, oh, a team's 8-2 and two in their last 10. Look at what their bullpen's done in that same 10-game stretch. And typically, they've gotten good starts, and then their bullpen has come in and just slammed the door. They win that series against the Mariners in the rubber match on um, Thursday afternoon, and they win a one nothing game. Like So, you know, George Kirby threw a great game for the Mariners. He goes eight innings and is a tough luck loser because, you know, Matt Strom did an absolutely incredible job, and he's been unbelievable filling into the rotation. A guy that they came – that they signed to be a high leverage multi-inning reliever has been frankly their most consistent starter. He's got a sub three RA. He's punching out guys at a rate he's never done in his career filling in. And like then their bullpen came in that day and just threw up zeros. And that's what they've been able to do. And, and for Wheeler and Nola specifically, now they're starting to get on track. Now you start to see that Nola goes eight innings and, and has a, 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 you know, gives up one earn against the Astros. Wheeler follows it up with seven. And that was the recipe to success last year. Really good starts. If you remember last year, it would be Wheeler, Nola, Suarez, and they would all get good starts. The bullpen was fresher. The bullpen came in. They had weapons. Now their bullpen's even deeper, and that's what you look at. I mean, when you looked at Nola, like the velo was down, which it's always down in April. I think the thing that was concerning is um, typically in April it never dipped start to start like it had as far as in the fourth inning this year leading up to the Houston start. He was averaging like 90 miles an hour after the fourth inning on his fastball. That was the concern. And going into the year, I think the reason that some alarm bells were going off was like, well, these guys just threw 230 innings last year on the way to the World Series. Are we just seeing fatigue? But I just think it's been more of a – they were set back. Their off-seasons were pushed back. They are still they were still in spring training their first four starts, you know, compared to where their body felt, you know, 
And now that they're kind of fresher and we're getting into this and they've put together five, six starts, they're starting to come out and really fill the ball well. We, you saw it with Wheeler yesterday. His stuff was crisp. He looked like Zach Wheeler. The Vila was what we were used to. Um, the slider ton was of ground balls. And, Ton of ground balls. He was swing and miss ground balls, which is what he does. When that's, he can balance swing and miss and ground balls, he's dominant. That's who he is, and and um, you know, I think that's the exciting thing when you look at kind of what sparked this in their pitching staff is is that, and then the bullpen. <laughs> look what the bullpen's done. Yeah, definitely, and I think when we talk about the Phillies' big picture, I think I believe they're what eighty six win team last year. Seven. Regular season, yeah. eighty-seven win team yeah. regular season, and they did collectively get better. We talked about this when we previewed the team. There's no denying that roster, on the whole, when fully healthy, got better than last season, especially with guys that have shown steps forward this year. If you told me that at this point, when we're turning into May first tomorrow, that Alec Baum, Nick Castellanos, Brandon Marsh, and Bryson Stott were going to be leading the charge on this roster, I would have said they're. 21 and nine and competing for first place in the NL East. But it's been the other guys that have almost struggled to a certain extent, obviously on the mound, you want to make sure that you're getting consistent starts. And the point you make about them being tired is, is very valid. And, you know, I think so many times when we see world series contenders and specifically the teams that lose in the world series, then add a lot of people forget that that 25 game stretch doesn't epitomize what this roster is, but there's no denying that this team got five to seven wins better than in the 87 win team. So you knew it was only a matter of time before they started to play like that group of guys when they started to get healthy, when they started to round into form. I mean, you talk about the bullpen, right? Numbers wise on the surface, you see a guy like Craig Kimbrell pitching to a 4.09 and Sir Anthony Dominguez pitching to a 6.32, but you mentioned when you're rolling, how are the bullpen arms then? Well, Kimbrell's last nine and two thirds innings, he got one earned run, 14 Ks and two walks. Dominguez's last six outings, seven and a third, zero earned runs and nine Ks. Well, that's where bullpen arms ERAs can deceive you because you just want the guy to be the best version of himself today. You don't that need him day. to be yep. the best version of himself over the last six starts that or last right. six outings. That doesn't even matter anymore. That's obsolete. Just get me outs today. You start to get those guys to consistently get you outs. Jose Alvarado is starting to turn himself into the one of the most dominant relievers in baseball. We see this year and year that guys that come out of nowhere. Well, it looks like Jose Alvarado is going to be the next guy that's going to punch two per inning and pitch to a sub one ERA, sub two ERA over the course of the year. And then we've all known Gregory Soto has the stuff to do it while well, he's pitching pretty well this year so when you look at the bullpen on the whole you can see why they're starting to win ball games i mean that's five or six arms that can get consistent high leverage outs against three four five against any team braves dodgers padres you send any of those guys out in an inning i'm trusting that their stuff can go out there and compete at that, at that level and the rotation we got to get suarez healthy we got to make sure Taiwan Walker is 100% healthy as well. He's the guy who is supposed to be your insurance policy. Like, go out, give me 160. We need to get Wheeler and Nola time to get figured out. We need Taiwan Walker to be decent. Well, now that he's on the shelf and there's question marks there, plus Andrew Painter, that's worrisome, yes, but playing good baseball now, you know the offense is going to turn it around, and it just makes that this team starting to look like the team that did finish second place in, across the league and, and win the National League. Yeah, and just going back to the bullpen there, like, I mean, Jose Alvarado hasn't walked a guy, right? And, and if people remember last May, he got sent down to the minors. He comes back with the cutter. And since then, he's been 
one of the best relievers in baseball. And this year he's been the best reliever in baseball. Yeah. I mean, he, he the one run he's given up, he got clipped by Jorge Soler, which is going to happen every once in a while. We always talk about that. But for him to not walk anyone and punch Huge. out guys, that the, and he struck out 24 guys and has walked zero. That's insane. I mean, and he's been – I mean, like you looked at the stuff and that's what you would you dreamt on, right? It was like this guy throws a 100-mile-an-hour sinker. He came back with a wipeout cutter, and the only time he got himself in trouble last year was walking people. Now he's yeah. filling up the zone with it, which makes him unhittable. And to your point, you got Craig Kimbrell with a ton of experience. He's, the ball's starting to come out of his hand. He's also always been a guy who's been softer in April, and then he picks up steam. His splits last year were what really ruined his season. He's gotten lefties out at a good rate this year. So there's like things to be excited about. Sir Anthony Dominguez has always been a slow starter. I mean, for heaven's sakes, the guy missed two full seasons of Major League Baseball, and last year was his first full one. You kind of knew that after last year pitching that deep, there was going to be some cobwebs. And he's starting him. He was nine, he's been 98, 99 consistently his last three, four outings, which he hadn't been all year. And that's who he is. And like, Imagine when they do get healthy in the rotation. Now Matt Strom's back out there. And Gregory Soto, who since opening day, Gregory Soto's put up similar numbers to Jose Alvarado. Since opening day, he's 11 and two-thirds innings, 15 strikeouts, um, and one earned run. Now he walks guys a little bit of a bigger clip, but people remember opening day, the reason he's a 309 ERA is he didn't get an out and gave up three runs. He was pitching to an infinity after opening day. So like this bullpen is taking shape and they're starting to keep them in games. And this is kind of when you looked at the roster to your point, it was like, okay, this is why this team can be better than the 87 wins is because, you know, this bullpen got a lot better. You add Trey Turner. Now the Hoskins injury has hurt things on the offensive side. And we'll talk about the offense here in a second, but I mean, just from a pitching standpoint, you know, Suarez has started his, his rehab assignment. He uh, threw on Thursday. I'll throw again on Tuesday in double a, and he should be back by the end of May. That lengthens things. Like you said, the Walker thing is a little bit concerning, but you never, you know, they, they don't expect him to miss a start, but they need him to be a little bit better than he's been. But I mean, just looking at it, if you get the two horses going, you get Suarez back, this bullpen does this, you're gonna you're gonna see the team that everyone thought was was gonna compete. And and again, when we take things as three weeks and three weeks only, that's the only sample you have, it's easy to overreact. Yeah, it definitely is. And and when you think about holistically the the Phillies as a roster, are they better than the Braves today? No, necess- not necessarily, no. but you give yourself a shot. You compete at a high level. You can you get healthy across the roster. You you never know what's going to happen in Atlanta with, with anything, uh, peaks, valleys, injuries, roster churn, whatever it is. Then you get to the trade deadline. You add again like they did last year, and who knows? Maybe you are pushing first place in the NL East. I think my money would be on the Atlanta Braves to continue to take the lead and run away with that thing, but this roster, when you start to mention those three starters specifically – that bullpen and a fully healthy Phillies lineup, there's a reason why people thought they were going to compete at a high level in the National League. And if there's anything that this podcast is outside of a Joey Gallo fan club leader, Absolutely. we're the Kevin Long fan club oh, leaders. Stop. Yeah. We we could talk about Kevin Long. We did multiple episodes last year talking about Kevin Long and and he's flexing his muscle again. Brandon Marsh is now up with the league leaders in OPS with a one one dot. 097, right? Like that's a one dot for a guy named Brandon Marsh. And if you told me an Angels outfielder from last year was going to one dot OPS, your money's (laughs) going to be on Trout, which he continues to do. But Brandon Marsh was traded over 
Logan O'Hoppy's having a great year. He got injured. It was great to see him start off the season great. It was a good deal for the Angels. But Brandon Marsh, being the age that he is, providing the defensive value that he brings to see him take this huge step forward is massive. Nick Castellanos, one of the big money free agent signings of last offseason with Kyle Schwarber, he seems to be returning to form. 324 average, yeah, that's cute. But this is a guy who has 10 doubles again. This is a guy who was league leader in the doubles category consistently through his prime. So seeing him get back up to 10 doubles shows you that he's having the thump necessary to have success for him. And he has four home runs on the year, which is a huge step forward from last season where he struggled to put anything in play with authority. You know, then you have Alec Baum, who he slowed a little bit since the, the fast start that we had talked about, but he's a guy who's hitting 286 still. You'd like to see the power be a little bit more consistent. So obviously there's so many other pieces with this offense, Dan, but when you think about about what Kevin Long's been able to do with those three guys specifically, and you can even throw in Bryce, your guy Bryson Stott and Edmundo Sosa, those guys that Kevin Long's made an impact on with this offense is just impressive. Well, and real quick, I, like even to expound even more, he's at, he's probably going to be out for most of the year now. He tours meniscus on on um, Friday, but Christian Pache was hitting 360 with a 960 OPS. And only 26 at bats, but like you're talking about a guy who couldn't hit, like just flat out couldn't hit. And then Kevin Long, I, I don't know if he's that good or if it was just like Pache had gotten hot for a little bit, but his swings and at bats had definitely gotten better. And the fact that like you can just be like Kevin Long can just be like, look what I even did with this guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, and Rob Thompson said it last week. Kevin Long's the best hitting guy he's ever been around in his career. And Rob, Rob, like me and you sitting here in North Carolina, who you know. Never being in a big league clubhouse to say that is one thing. But for Rob Thompson, who's been a lifelong baseball guy, lifelong in baseball clubhouses, to be like just flat out Kevin Long's the best hitting guy I've ever been around says something, you know, yeah. because he didn't need to come out and just frankly put that stamp on it. He could say how great of a coach he is and, and you know, he's doing a great job and we love him and he's the best in the business right now. But for Rob Thompson to be like, he's the best to ever do it tells you. And I mean, you kind of alluded to him too. Like, how about a Mundo Sosa who's hitting 308 with a, an 891 OPS, eight extra base hits, and 55 at bats? And Mundo Sosa, this is a guy that the Cardinals gave up for Jojo Romero last year at the deadline because he couldn't hit and he wasn't going to be able to stay in the lineup. He's an elite defense defender, plays multiple infield positions, does it at an above average level, and he's doing it at. at while hitting, while giving you value offensively, now he's starting to get you know every day at bats because bombs sliding over to first with Hoskins being out, and Derek Hall going down, and they're rolling with it and it's working. He's hitting right-handers too, which they when they got him, he had a really good second half with the Phillies and limited time playing mostly against lefties. But now they're giving him every day at bats against righties because he can handle it. Because again, I don't know Kevin Long maybe like and 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 Bryson Stott. I mean Bryson Stott, what he's been doing, he's only struck out twenty three times in one hundred. 23 plate appearances. He's hitting 322 while doing it. He started the year on the 17 game hit streak. So when you just look at all those guys, the the marshes, the bombs, the stops, the sosas, like what they're able to do and how they've kind of carried them, it's huge for a Phillies team that's doing it without Hoskins and Harper. Um, and you're going to get Bryce back here soon, and and that's going to be huge for them. But you know the adjustments Brandon Marsh has, has made to turn himself into an everyday center fielder, lefty righty doesn't matter, is tremendous, and that's something they needed. They haven't had an, a regular everyday center fielder that's been, you know, that's brought good value since Shane Victorino, which was, you know, 10, 12 years ago. I'll so tell you this. To, go ahead. Yeah. I, I was just going to say to kind of speak on 
what Rob Thompson said about Kevin Long and the consistency of the way people talk about him is all you need to know. There has never been like, yeah, you don't usually hear about like hitting coaches have the highest turnover rate for a reason. It's a, it's a thankless job. It's the hardest thing to do in baseball. So when guys struggle, obviously you're the one who gets kicked to the curbs. When guys have success, it's more the player's responsibility. Like, you know, like it is, it is a tough job, but never once have you heard any player come out and say like anything bad about Kevin Long. Not that players come out and say anything bad about Kevin Long to begin with, but then you start to mention the fact that there are players that religiously follow Kevin Long. Like this is the only guy that I've heard of at least that players intentionally sign with the organization that he's at. Daniel Murphy with the Nationals was, hey, bring this guy here. He's going to help us win ball games. Kyle Schwarber spoke about it when he signed with the Philadelphia Phillies. You had Bryce Harper banging on the table for this guy to come over. Obviously, he's worked with Trey Turner in the past. Like There are guys that consistently want to follow Kevin Long, and that tells you everything you need to know about the value that he brings in a position that does have the highest turnover rate across baseball. Hitting coaches don't stay on average for more than two years. He's a guy that was with the Yankees for five plus. He was with the Nationals for two or three. He was with the Mets for a while. He was, and he's obviously been with the Phillies and they have no intentions of, of moving on from him. So he's been up and down the 95 corridor, but he has been the mainstay at a lot of places and nobody's pushing him out the door. His contract was up with the, with the nationals it was just a matter of the phillies wanted to bring in bring him in for big money gave him more responsibility gave him more creative control and then he moves into that role and he's done a great job every single place he's been and there's never been a player that doesn't speak very highly of him so i think it it tells you everything you need to know about just exactly what he offers and exactly how good of a good of a hitting coach he is but you know obviously we have to talk about some negative with this team this team's not undefeated. There are things that aren't going as smooth as possible. Kyle Schwarber, I think this is one thing that we have to to continue to press on because it gets lost in Philadelphia specifically in a lot of sports. Notorious slow starter. This guy is probably a Hall of Famer if he just played in June. So give him some time. But right now, if you're telling me a slow starter is leading your team in home runs, he has a 741 OPS for a slow starter. Now he's only hitting 206. I know he didn't hit much higher than that last year. But that's obviously a guy that that you have to believe is going to turn it around when the weather turns. Yeah, it blows my mind. I said this to you off uh, off air that it blows my mind how consistent these big leaguers are year over year. You would think just with how much Kyle Schwarber plays and and how often it is that he'd have like a scorching hot April. He just doesn't like this is who he is. He but the thing that makes him so good and the reason why he hits fifty is because he's going to still get his handful of homers. Then, like you said, June will roll around and he'll hit 12 more. He'll be unconscious and then he'll just steady out for the rest of the way and he'll end up with 45 homers. And that's, I mean, that's what you're seeing here. I think there's no cause for concern for me with Schwarber. This looks just like Kyle Schwarber. This is exactly what you expect. He's hitting 206 with six homers. Yep, it's April. Like, call me on June 10th and tell me what Kyle Schwarber's done the last nine days. And I'll be like, oh, okay. Then if he's still hitting 206 and he hasn't homered, then I'll start to get worried. But to me, it's like he's going to get hot. It's only a matter of time. You know, I'd hoped that the World Baseball Classic at bats had, had you know, maybe Sped, changed accelerated that. Yeah, yeah. But, but I, I, I still, it's not like there's any cause for concern for me 
I wonder about Trey Turner just because of the underlying metrics a little bit. That's yes. the guy who it's like, okay, this is this is now it's and it's it's funny because it's not like he's been bad all year. He was collecting his hits early on. I think as early as last Saturday against the Rockies, he was still hitting like three ten maybe. He's down down to two sixty one. So it's just been ice water for him. Yeah, and it's the underlying metrics because even when he was still hit get collecting his hits early on, he wasn't hitting the ball hard. He was chasing. Things didn't look good. So for me, that's the one where it's like he's too good to compare again on April 30th to sit here and be like, oh, no, it would be absolutely ridiculous. The guy is arguably the best shortstop in the game. So I don't think it's fair to do that to him. I think there's you know reason for us to be like he's going to be fine. But you kind of wonder what is going on. Is it just as much as I just signed 11 years, 300 million? This is a lot of pressure. Like, I don't know. If you look at his home road splits, you know, I think it was at the end of last home stand, his home road splits, he was hitting over 400 on the road and he was hitting like right around 200 at home. So that's the only reason that makes me think that maybe because that's a, that's a hitter's ballpark, but I don't know. Yeah. I think that when he signed the contract, the reason why a lot of people might've been quote unquote out on it was his chase percentages, right? He's always been a guy who chases. He's been able to do more as of the past couple of years, especially when he was in Los Angeles and at the back end of his career with the Nationals of finding hits on balls off the plate, finding hits on balls that aren't in, aren't in the strike zone. And I think a lot of people that believe in whatever you want to say, that's a hard skill to outperform over the long haul. When you start to lose that little bit of twitch, when you start to lose that little bit of hand eye, your body doesn't feel right. Those balls that you, those we've seen him hit sliders, Javi Baez level off the plate for knocks the other way. We've seen him hit flares in there. You obviously know he has the speed. That is not a consistent skill set that you can hang your hat on, right? The ability to just hit everything. Um, I mean, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was a Vladimir Guerrero Sr. was a little different because he had a little bit more thump from that standpoint of like, and he swung a thirty-nine and a half inch bat. But you're right about the the peripherals being worrisome. I also think playing playing in a major market, which is okay. No Philly fans are ready to give up on him. I can tell you that much. Um, they're going to ride or die with this guy to a fault. Um, but the World Baseball Classic in the spring, I know I jokingly said like you can only hit so many pumps in 365 days, which is true. Like I, I truly believe that. Like I don't believe just because you had a hot – like not that you can pick and choose when you get hot, but baseball is a hard enough game and guys don't exactly transform and double their home run totals over the course of 365 just because they played a couple extra games. Whether he's getting too big – whether the expectations of that, whether this is just regression to the mean and he's going to kind of ride that little, you know, just a little bump in the road. You know, I got hot a little early. I got to work through some things and then I'm going to regain my my potential and skill set when the weather turns. All of those things combined have not helped him. People talking about 40-40. I know we jokingly say that, but like you can't tell me that he doesn't think that, ooh, maybe I can hit for more, a little bit more power. Ooh, maybe I can get to the pool side a little bit more effectively. Ooh, maybe I can take advantage of these middle-middle pitches. I just think the whole picture right now, you're right about the peripherals. That's worrisome. That's not a guy you want to see. You know, If we're in June and we're starting to still see blue on his baseball savant page and underlying peripherals that are bad, when you're talking about the first six months of an 11-year deal, that is not something you want to see. 
but this is a guy who's consistently hit above 300 over the past couple seasons. He's shown power. He's one of the best athletes in the game. Might need some work on not chasing as many pitchers, but that's been kind of the skill set that made him so successful for for the past couple years is his ability to do do both of those things where he can make contact with pitches that most people can't. Yeah, and again, I think it's most most likely, right, just a bump in the road, like you said. I think you're right. The expectations of him signing that deal, because, you know, again, we it's so hard to to sometimes have perspective on these things. He signs an 11-year, $300 million year. You just think he's going to be Superman because that's what he was valued as, essentially, when you see that type of deal. So you think he's just going to be great. Then he does what he does in the World Baseball Classic, and he, he does become Superman, right? It's like, oh, my gosh, like, this is – this guy's unbelievable. Like, this – he might win an MVP, right? There's all those talks of that. And I think it's just like, okay, let's take a step back now. We're, we're back to reality here a little bit <laughs> that he's a human being. He's, he's a very good baseball player, but he's playing a very hard sport and he's playing a very tough position doing it. Like he's posting every day. He's going to get his hits. He's going to work through this. He's too good not to. And again, he has a relationship with Kevin Long. We think so highly of Kevin Long. I don't see why it wouldn't kind of to work itself out. Is it ever going to be 40-40? No, me and you know that. And that, that's unrealistic. But do I fully – is it going to be 315 with, you know, 15 to 20? Yeah, it probably still will be. And, you know, I would imagine the doubles and triples will start to come as he finds his swing again, right? Because he's going to shoot balls in the gap because that's a guy with speed. And as long as his legs are healthy, he's going to – get a couple extra doubles and triples just because he can take an extra base on guys. So to me, that's why it's like, don't worry. He's playing good shortstop. The defensive side of it is what no one wanted to talk about. He's an upgrade over Bryson Stott at shortstop. And it turns out that Bryson Stott so far leads all second baseman in defense and runs saved at second. So he profiles at that position. He always did coming up through the minors better. So like that's the value that he's brought so far and why it's like just continue. Like you said, no Philly fans are jumping off, but be patient you know, if you look up at the all-star break and they're still blue on the baseball savant, then start to ask the questions. As for right now, I think he, you know, just let him steady the ship. He's too good yeah. not to. I, I agree. And I think the the one thing that I'll say for for guys long longevity wise, like guys that aren't good on base guys, like it's tough. If they don't hit their way on, it's tough to bring value. And like that's where his floor is like a lot of money tied into a guy that if he doesn't like he's OBPing for a guy who's one of the better players in baseball, he's OBPing 300 flat. Like pitchers aren't afraid to attack him ever really necessarily. They know they can get him to chase and you worry a little bit about like, you got to hit your way to on base at a 375 clip. I think that, but to me, I think you're right. You're absolutely right. When you talk about that profile of player, I just would say that that worry comes from, like you said, longevity, that, that worry comes four or five years from now. I don't think that yeah. worry comes that, you know, if we're talking specifically this year, he's going to do like, he'll, he's, he's, he's still capable of doing that as yes. his contract ages, unless he's able to transform himself, which I think is kind of hard to do unless hard. he's able to transform himself into like a walk guy, like a, a high on base guy without having to hit his way on. That's you're absolutely right. If we're sitting here yes. five years from now. Then like, yeah, that is like, uh, he's not going to be as valuable because he's going to be yeah. hitting 250 with a, with a 300 on base. And that's not as valuable because mm -hmm. it's not like 250, 300 on base with 35 pumps. Yeah. And I, I think that's what, and even more focus on this year too, to build off that. If we see a Nick Castellanos, like, you know, snowball effect down a mountain where it just keeps getting bigger and bigger, 
you know, and the pressure compounds and all the things like that, that's even the bigger, like Kyle Schwarber, when he's hitting 206, he's OBPing 320. It's like, oh, okay, well, you know, and he's providing thump. It's like right. that guy that starts to chase, he starts to press. We saw it with Cassianos. He swung at pitches and you would just be like, <laughs> I mean, how many tappers back to the pitcher did he what, hit last right. year? You're like, oh my goodness. So oh, as many that, as that, hobby that's the, right. Yeah, that's the worrisome in Philadelphia with him for the right away, but then you're an off season away from let's reset, let's get our head back under us, let's rework through some things, and you're back being Trey Turner. Um, and that's and I think you know, that, the good with the bad. I think, I think the makeup of those two players is a little bit different too. Like I think Castellanos was a guy who it takes him a while to get settled into a place. Like you can just his demeanor and just his attitude, his quotes in the press conferences after games. Like he's finally comfortable in Philadelphia. I think it took him a yeah. full year to be comfortable in his own skin in Philly. Whereas Trey Turner, I think, just kind of fits anywhere. He kind of just is a guy who's on the river and 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 um the the mental side of that so I that's why I would be surprised yeah. if it was a pressure thing I'm the one who brought that up <laughs> yeah. in the beginning but like when I think about it like I don't think it's that I just you never know but um you know the point I think really that that you made about hitting your way on it's tough it's tough yeah. to do man big league pitching's really good and and hitting's really hard so to continuously do that year over year over year over year that is where the concern can lay and, but again i think that would be a couple years down the road definitely definitely and just to kind of close out this episode uh one of the teams i mean i feel like we're just we've been so negative recently um so we're going to go back onto the negative side the seattle mariners I think they're Dan's favorite team outside of the Philadelphia Phillies, if I'm not mistaken. He loves himself some Pacific Northwest baseball late at night when he's hanging out, just wanting to fall asleep to some some beautiful, sweet serenades of some baseball. They're sitting at 11 and 16 right now, fourth place in what is surprisingly to some the very, very competitive AL West. I mean, when we talked about it in the preseason, you looked at the rosters, and, and definitely we have the reigning champion Houston Astros. We were high on the Texas Rangers. You see what the Los Angeles Angels can be if everything breaks right. So you definitely know that their their margin for error is very thin and razor thin to a certain extent. And you've seen that so far that as they sit at 11 and 16, the Astros are playing really good baseball recently. The uh, Texas Rangers have slowed down a little bit, but they're still playing good. They're going to get Corey Seager back. You start to worry about, hey, what is this team going to be? And you look at the offense as a whole. Jared Kelenek has been a phenomenal story through the first part of the year. He's got seven home runs. He's leading the offense in a lot of different categories. And you just look at what this team has been outside of him. There's some power. There's some guys that have shown the ability to challenge the fences. Even Teoscar Hernandez is hitting 208, but he's got a 406 slug. Julio's hitting 239. He's got a 442 slug. Cal Raleigh's hitting 220 with a 415 slug. So you're looking at guys who are sitting at a 200 isolated power. So they're definitely getting their extra base hits. But in terms of the everyday production, in terms of the hits that are falling, it's definitely something that, that is a little concerning, really, for an offense that we think can be really good. Um, but I think in terms of the name value, I mean, if you told me Jared Kelenic was going to take a step forward, I'd probably be 100% bought in. But you look at the other guys across the lineup, and there's not exactly that second superstar outside of Julio Rodriguez. 
No, and that's the frustrating thing. This lineup's way too good to be performing the way they are. And this just feels like a team that I, I'm, I'm just – I cursed them. That's what it feels like. Because like when you looked at the Phillies the first three weeks of the season, these teams are identical, it felt like. Now, the Phillies had some better offensive numbers, but it's just like inconsistent. Because you look at it, and like you said, like, oh, we're getting some good power here. Like, why aren't we winning enough of these games? George Kirby and Philly on Thursday afternoon goes eight innings and gives up one run, and they lose. That's a game you win. That's a game that good teams win. Good teams don't win one nothing games where their starter gives them eight. They don't. Playoff teams, World Series contenders, they typically do not lose those games throughout the course of a year. Then there's games where the offense, you know, keep, you know, scores a bunch of runs for them and they lose. And it's like, well, we didn't get a start because, you know, losing Robbie Ray, I think, was a big blow. It's a huge blow. It's a Cy Young caliber pitcher. It's a guy who's won one. Pairing him at the front of that rotation with Luis Castillo and a couple of these young guys, Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, it was really exciting. Chris Flexen, um, who slid into that rotation, has been terrible. He's pitching, he's got over an ADRA, he's got almost a two whip. I mean, I think it's just been absolutely uh, kind of brutal. And I, before I let you jump in back in here, like from a pitching standpoint, I'm calling for Emerson Hancock. Like, let's go. Let's go. Give him a spark. Like, let this kid come up and pitch. It, like, it's not going to be worse than Chris Flexen. It's not. True. It's not. It's not going to be worse than Chris Flexen. They've kind of, they, you know, there's been some health issues in the past. He's pitching right now. He's healthy. He looks good. Like, let's go. Yeah. Any any opportunity to get a get a Georgia Bulldog on one of your favorite professional teams, you just cannot resist. Um, but I'm I will all over. Say it. that- it's that weekend. <laughs> yeah, it's the weekend for it. I will say that one thing that that my brain goes to. Right, we talk about this all the time. If there's any correlation between hits and batted ball profiles, it's the harder you hit it, the more success, more that are going to fall for for directly for hits, and the higher your average is going to be. It's hard to hit it where people are not. When you're seeing a team that can hit for power and is hitting for low average consistently, that tells me one thing: because to hit for power, you have to also hit the ball hard and specifically in the air. I sent you this tweet uh, probably about a week ago, um, and it actually outlined some of maybe our concerns with the Philadelphia Phillies because the underlying numbers say that they have slightly outperformed what they're doing. The Seattle Mariners are what I would deem as second in terms of specifically expected slug, which is kind of the craziest part to think of when you talk about they're putting balls in play hard and they're not falling for hits. So they're third in expected batting average, whereas in terms of their underlying difference between batting average and expected batting average and their fourth in expected slug in terms of where they line up on that. So you're talking about a team who has had some bad luck here as we kind of talked through it. I kind of started to think, well, if there's one thing that we can correlate to hitting for power, it's hitting the ball hard and specifically hitting ball consistently in the air and providing some thumps. So when you have a lineup that's able to do that, maybe there are some underlying peripherals that allow you to believe that those knocks are going to start to fall. Those soft hit balls that get caught every time when you're in a one nothing game against the Philadelphia Phillies and your starters going out posting and you just feel like everything we've all been there, right? You hit nine piss missiles right at the center fielder for flyouts for lineouts to just fall. The shortstop makes one great diving play when you have a runner in scoring position. And next thing you know, you lose one nothing. We've all seen it happen. I believe in this offense. The 
the peripheral show that the offense will be better. The peripheral show that you you can't imagine a guy like Eugenio Suarez who has led baseball in home runs. You pointed that out really over since what, 2018, 2017, yeah. just been consistently in the top of the league every year in home runs. He's not going to only slug 353. You know that Ty France is a guy who's raked at every level. He's not going to slug as low as he is right now. But when you talk about the pitching side of things, I'll start with a positive. Luis Castillo is a notorious slow starter. Let's let that sink in for a second. Luis Castillo is one of the most well-known notorious slow starters in baseball. He is the Kyle Schwarber of pitchers. And if you told me Kyle Schwarber hit eight or hit 12 home runs in the month of April, I'd put my money on an MVP award for him. So when you talk about Luis Castillo's velo being down two ticks, which is normal across his career, he's always down in in April and early May. And he's still already pitching to a 1.82 with 38 Ks and 34 innings. Just I don't even want to think about what this guy is going to be healthy in July and August because he is going to round into form. But outside of that, you got George Kirby and Marco Gonzalez who are high floor guys. You know they're going to throw strikes. You know they're going to limit hard contact. George Kirby, you'd love to see more strikeouts, but 24 Ks to two walks, any staff will take that. Make other teams earn it. Make other team earn their knocks. Make them go out and dam- do damage against you consistently because you're not going to get beat with free bases. Logan Gilbert, he was a guy that, you know, last year peripheral-wise outperformed what his stats were. Is this regression to the mean? Obviously, he's young, so you you would assume that he's going to continue to step-by-step step get there. But you're right about Chris Flexen. Something's got to give here, whether that is Bryce Miller, whether that's Emerson Hancock, whoever it is in the farm system that they can call up and just be a shot in the arm because I think the best part – of what you said is they can't be worse than Chris Flexen. Taylor Dollard's a guy in AAA who Colin spoke high of as a guy who came out and kind of shoved it against them a couple last a couple of times last year in AA. Who knows what the next step is, but the big part of what you said is they cannot be worse than what Chris Flexen is. You don't need one of those guys to come up and be Robbie Ray. You need one of those guys to come up and just provide you with some form of value. Yeah, and it's deflating when you're a team that has the expectations that the Mariners have, have going into this year of being like a, a playoff team. And we've talked about them even potentially challenging in the West. And you're trying to pull yourselves out of this, right? They're, they're, that's a group who has good leadership. That's a group who likes playing together. I think Scott Service does a great job of just kind of being even keeled all the way through. They're trying to pull themselves out. And every fifth day, this guy goes to the mound. No offense, but like that's deflating. Like he's pitching to a nine, man. Like he's not putting up any zeros. Like I can't, like if you're on that team and in that clubhouse and it's like, okay, we've won two in a row. We're getting back into this thing. We're three games under 500. Chris Flexen's going to the mound. Great. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, you know, I I, I don't think they're going to keep running them out there. They've tried Tommy Malone, you know, uh, last night they, um, Last night they, they who well, what's the kid's name? I'm sorry, I'm, I don't want to. Easton McGee. Last night they go to Easton McGee and he he shoves and that's great and like good. Get some juice in there that's not flexing, you know. And I would like to see Hancock obviously and, and some of these other guys and and I think that's the way they have to go because like you said Castillo, I mean he's going to be in the Cy Young conversation without a doubt. Um, he's turned himself into such a good pitcher. The stuff was always there. The numbers never followed in Cincinnati. He matured. He figured it out. And um, 
he's unbelievable. He's so fun to watch pitch. If, if, if any of our listeners haven't want, really sat down and watched one of his starts, do it. It's a, it's a pleasure. But I, I mean, that's kind of the frustrating thing for me is like they they just need to be more consistent. They they're not a complimentary baseball team right now, and they're going to be. Like I still believe that this team's going to be really good and they're going to win, you know, potentially ninety games. Um, it just hasn't clicked yet. No, and it doesn't always click right away. I think it's the is is how no. it works. We've seen this before. There's diff. There's a difference between what we what you see when you watch the White Sox play and what you see when you watch the Seattle Mariners play. The Seattle Mariners are a lot more like that team that's just waiting for things to fall right, waiting right. to get completely healthy. Obviously, the Robbie Wright injury. There's nothing you can do about that. He is done. He's gone. You have to find a way to replace him. But I'm surprised they haven't gone the opener route. They have a couple arms in their bullpen that have been good. I mean, not name brand guys. I mean, Andres Munoz is the guy we all think about, and he's been solid. He needs to be healthy through the innings that through the three and a third innings that he's pitched. But you're looking at a guy like Trevor Gotts pitching to a 2.57. Penn Murphy's pitching to a 1.59. Justin Toppa is pitching to a 1.80. Gabe Spires pitching to a 0.00 in 10 innings. Like you're telling me you can't roll out a one day of an opener and and try to get some maybe get Chris Flexen through that middle part of like give us three after we get a guy out there who's pitching really well to give us one you know get us four or five outs there and then you know Diego Castillo is going to be better it's so there's definitely something to be said for for maybe finding a way to piece together that fifth starter spot and I don't know exactly what it is at this point in time, but I think there is something to be said for for this roster is a lot more like what we think of when we think of those teams that do struggle at first and then tend to turn it around and then compete for World Series. Yeah, and I, that's an interesting idea. And, and I mean, again, a lot of you don't see teams start doing stuff like that this early, right? They're still feeling their way through it. And they're still trying to round into form and, and Scott service is still trying to figure out what he has out there. And, you know, but as this continues, that's something that you'll probably see as you move along in the season is some creativity in the arms. And maybe it's a young guy coming up, maybe Easton McGee sticks, maybe Tommy Malone is your opener and you just ask him to give you three innings and then you get to the yep. bullpen or maybe you throw Penn Murphy out there for the first two and then go to Tommy Malone. Those things will happen as the summer rolls on. Um, but here, you know, early on in the season, it's like find your footing, but, I don't know how many opportunities you can give to a guy like Chris Flexen. I mean, it's just it just doesn't make sense. It yeah. doesn't make sense. Your team's too good, especially when you didn't get off to the start. So what? You know, and and offensively, like you said, I mean, the expected numbers are there. They're going to get better. Their their expected slug is, is forty points higher than their slug. Their bat their on base percentage expected on base is like twenty four points higher than their on base. So it's there. It's coming for this team, and 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 um, they just kind of got to to hold firm right now and don't let it slip. Don't turn into the white side. I know they well, won't, but well, don't do that. <laughs> they're out to a they're out to a four two lead currently against the Toronto Blue Jays. They had four runs on one hit. Chris Bassett had three go. walks and then gave up a grand slam in the first he night. hasn't been very good. Woof. Yeah he pitches like he baby giraffe. We talked about that last year. He's just like oh Taylor uh, Trammell first at bat of the year. That's not yeah, that's a good way to start your, shout your out. year. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I think we'd all sign up for that for uh, for a little bit, a little Homer fun. Um, so, Chicago White Sox big first inning statement first inning against Tampa Bay Rays. Now, don't blow it. Um, 
that ro- that roster doesn't look that fun. But so, <laughs> any other closing thoughts? No, I don't. It's good to be back on. Of course, of course. Well, we're going to be coming to you with with a couple more episodes this week. Make sure you're following us on all social channels. I know I haven't mentioned that recently. We're trying to get a little more active on the Twitter sphere, trying to grow the podcast any way we can. So make sure you're sharing with five friends, making sure you're liking, you're subscribing, leave some five-star reviews anywhere you get your podcast. Uh, it helps us grow the brand. It helps us use the algorithms to get in front of some new listeners that might be interested in some baseball podcast. I know to our friends across the Northeast that I got to see this week, um, love that you're enjoying the podcast. We love doing it. We'd love to hear your feedback from anybody else who's out there enjoying the podcast. We love talking to our listeners. We'd love to take some ideas on way to do anything, way to increase our, our productivity, way to increase content, way to things you want to hear, questions. We'll keep a mailbag open as, as we kind of hope to grow this and, and give anybody an opportunity to ask us any questions that they might have about their favorite teams or, or anything in general. So making sure we're, we're doing all those things, helping us grow the podcast any way we can. We'll be back with a couple more episodes this week, but until next time, we'll see you guys on the next podcast. Great news. Major League Baseball is back. The college baseball season continues to electrify. and With the help of our friends over at SeatGeek, we can get you out to whatever game you want to see. All you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find your game you want to go to, and enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL get $20 off your first purchase. Maybe you want to go see some NBA or NHL playoffs. I don't know. Maybe you want to go to a concert with the weather warming up throughout the country. No matter what event you're looking to go to, our friends at SeatGeek can hook you up with the best deals. Great seats at an affordable price. You can't beat it. Make sure to enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL for $20 off. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL.